0: You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. you, You may be seated. Well, when we come to the book of Psalms, uh, what we find are a vast array of music and poetry that God has provided to his people. If you just scan through the 150 Psalms that you'll find in that book, you'll find Psalms that are dedicated to praise and thanksgiving. You'll find Psalms that are dedicated to lament and petition. And you'll even find Psalms that are dedicated to times of reflection or even teaching. And some of these psalms, like Psalm 19 that we saw a couple of weeks ago, they're clearly intended to be used in public worship. You'll see something like, to the choir master, or something to that effect. But other psalms, like we see here in Psalm 23, they're clearly written with a lot more of a personal bent. It's as if, in the book of Psalms, we see that some things were written for the sake of everybody in the congregation, and some things are written for the sake of individuals. And Psalm 23 is a psalm written for the sake of individuals. We know this because if you look at verse 1, David begins this psalm by saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want It might seem like a really, really small detail to you, but notice how much more personal that is than if you were to say something like, the Lord is a shepherd or the Lord is the shepherd. David is not really speaking doctrinally about God or generally and abstractly about God, but he's meditating and reflecting on his personal relationship with God. And so at the heart of this psalm, what we see is a really important and crucial question. How would you describe your relationship with God? Because this is what David is doing in Psalm 23. And it's no surprise that when he goes to describe his relationship with God, he grabs the metaphor of a shepherd. And the reason that that's not surprising is because in 1 Samuel we know that one of the main jobs in David's life when he was under his father Jesse was to be the shepherd of the family. To take care of their sheep. And so he's very very familiar with all of the language associated with this role. But what's even more important, I think, as we come to Psalm 23 is to realize that David being carried along by the Holy Spirit is leading us to a place where we can actually receive two really important truths for our lives. The first truth is that you and I are a lot like sheep. And that might be hard to hear, but if you, if you take just a moment to, to think about your life, you'll realize that just like sheep, we are surprisingly needy people. That we are predictably stubborn. That we are regularly harassed by the things around us. And that we are consistently anxious. And Psalm 23 reflecting on that demonstrates that we as these predictably stubborn and surprisingly needy creatures, we can actually have peace when we know that the Lord is our shepherd. Because our shepherd is always providing for us. He is always protecting us and he is always preparing to bless us with his grace. And so as we spend time in Psalm 23, I would encourage you to follow along with your Bible so that you can see how our Good Shepherd is always providing, always protecting, and always preparing to bless you, not the whole congregation, but you with His grace. That is where we're headed, but before we dive in, let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful to be gathered together as your people this morning and to hear your word preached. We ask that you would nourish us and strengthen us by it and your Holy Spirit. That you would lead our eyes to look to Christ. That we would see our Good Shepherd as always providing for us, always protecting us, and always preparing to bless us with your grace. Be with us now and illuminate our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Psalm 23 begins by saying you and I can have peace in our lives when we know that our shepherd is always providing for us. Look really quickly here at verses 2 and 3. David writes, "...he, the good shepherd, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul." He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I want you to notice that David finds comfort in these truths about what his shepherd is providing him. And I want you to notice three different actions. It says that the shepherd makes me to lie down, that he leads me, and that he restores me. Now before we dive into the details of those things, because there's so much that we can unpack, I want you to notice that those actions are not being done by the sheep. That those are verbs that are associated only with the Shepherd. There are no self-made Christians. If we belong to the Lord as his sheep, then we do not provide for ourselves. No, we are recipients Those who receive from the Lord His rest and His righteousness. Notice back in verse 2 that as David says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures and He leads me beside still waters. He's emphasizing that the Lord provides rest for His sheep. And I think what's really interesting here is that not only if you just read the sentence in English does it allude to this kind of picturesque vision of peace and security. But if you dig into the Hebrew words, those words that are translated makes me to lie down or still water, those if you literally translate those in the Hebrew, they mean make me to rest and waters of rest. Rest is at the heart of God's provision and salvation in your life. Because if you look throughout the entire scriptures, especially in Deuteronomy chapter 5, God makes a connection between the salvation that he has given to his people and the Sabbath rest that he has given them. I'll just read really quickly from Deuteronomy chapter 5. The Lord says this, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded commands you to keep the Sabbath day. God has always linked salvation and Sabbath rest for the sake of His people. And what's amazing about this is that this idea is not just echoed, but fulfilled in Christ. When in Matthew chapter 11, He says, "...come to Me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." Rest is at the heart of God's provision for you. But it's not just rest that David is reflecting on, right? He goes on and he says, not only does God provide us with rest, He provides us with righteousness itself. Look at verse 3. David says, he restores my soul and leads me in paths of righteousness. The word that is translated here, restores, is a little tricky. And what's interesting is that the Hebrew word here could either mean to make somebody turn back in repentance or to bring healing. And I think personally that David is actually using this word intentionally for the sake of that double meaning. Because on the one hand, David wants to tie it to what has come right before. He wants to say that by giving us his righteousness, he is restoring us to the peace that he has made us for. But on the second half of this, you'll notice that David is also connecting it to this idea of being led in the paths of righteousness, or literally, the right paths in life. And so, I think whatever the correct answer to what does this word really mean is kind of irrelevant because you don't want to miss the main point. Righteousness is not something that a sheep that you and I merit or that we accomplish in our lives It is something that is given to us by the shepherd. That the Lord restores us with the righteousness of Christ through faith. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, each and every day is leading us down the paths of righteousness in the ways of Christ. And just picking right back up in in Matthew chapter 11, where we just quoted, Jesus continues and he says... Not only will he give you rest, but take up my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Why is this so hard for us to believe? I believe that it is so difficult for us to actually get the first part of Psalm 23 because our entire culture is moving in the opposite direction and it's been influencing us tremendously. Let me tell you a little bit more about what I mean. So in psychology, there is a theory called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Some of you might be familiar with this paradigm and if you're not, I want you for a moment to imagine a pyramid. And at the base of this pyramid, Maslow says that we have, you know, basic needs, like physiological needs and safety needs in our lives. But that up on top of that, as we make our way up the pyramid, we also have psychological needs, right? With the, the need for healthy relationships and the need to personally contribute to our lives. And as we build up the pyramid to the very peak, Maslow says that the peak and chief end of our existence and fulfillment is self-actualization or being the best version of ourselves. Now, what's really important to understand is that there is a nugget of truth in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We do have practical and personal and relational needs in our lives. We should not neglect those in our lives and we should not neglect those in the lives of other people because they are real. But by placing self-actualization and being the best version of ourselves as the chief end, what this has done in our culture is it's created a culture of self-worship where you are the most important person in the universe, and that you cannot be fully satisfied or fulfilled in your life unless all of your needs are met physiological, psychological, and ideal. And the problem is that that is not what the Bible tells you. That's not what experience tells you. The reality is is that St. Augustine was much closer to the truth than Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And here's what Augustine said. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. You will not find peace by trying to ascend Maslow's ladder. You will only find peace and receive peace when you humbly believe the gospel that says Christ descended from heaven and has provided you the righteousness and the rest that you long for through his life, his death, his resurrection, and ascension. So what does that mean for your life? What does it mean for my life? Well, it means that instead of striving, we need to simply, like a sheep, lay down in the gospel. Some of us are constantly searching for rest in the things of this world. Some of us are looking for escape through drugs and alcohol. Some of us are looking for escape through entertainment and hobbies. Some of us are looking for righteousness and significance in our careers or in our relationship status. And while some of these things are good, none of them will provide us what we are actually looking for. St. Bernard of Clairvaux wrote a book on, uh, called On the Necessity of Loving God. And he said this, and I love it so much. Righteousness is the natural and essential food of the soul, which can no more be satisfied by earthly things than the hunger of the body can be satisfied by air. Isn't that great? Instead of striving after air... Right? Vanity, as we see in the book of Ecclesiastes. Bernard of Clairvaux is saying, give up your idols and rest in the green pastures of the gospel alone. Isaiah 30 says it this way. The Lord God, the Holy One of Israel says, in returning and in rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust is your strength. If we dig a little bit deeper into our lives, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we are afraid of this. We fear giving up that much control. And I think that the reason that we fear fully embracing the gospel in this way is because we're afraid that if we do that, we will lose our lives. Look back in Psalm 23. If we jump down to verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The contrast is that there is a life filled with fear of evil. Okay? What's really great here is that I love that David does not just say God will provide, but that God as our shepherd is always protecting David does not turn a blind eye to reality in verse 4. In verse 4, he recognizes that there are dangers in this life and that fear and anxiety are to be expected, right? They are not abnormal, but normal in a fallen world. And he uses this, this phrase that we use so often that we kind of miss what it actually means. He says that he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. And while the valley of the shadow of death is really beautiful and poetic. It really fails to fully communicate what the Old Testament means when it talks about the valley of the shadow of death. Because while it is associated with the grave all over the book of Job, it is also associated with the wilderness. And I think for some of us, the news about how God is protecting us in death is a really important thing for us to know and to hear. But I think it's also important for us that aren't necessarily at death's doorstep to recognize that God is protecting us when we go through the times of the wilderness. Because in Jeremiah 2 verse 6, it says the the deep darkness, that is the literal translation of that word, that God was with his people in the valley of the shadow of death, or what's translated there, the wilderness. David is saying here that when God leads us into the times of the wilderness, including death, he will personally protect us from the attacks of the enemy and from the wandering of our hearts. Look back at verse 4. David says that he finds comfort... In the presence of his shepherd, he says, you are with me. But why does he find comfort? Because he sees that he, the Lord is with him and that his rod and his staff comfort David. That phrase, rod and staff, is really important for us to understand because in ancient Israel, these were the two primary tools that were used by a shepherd. A rod was a shorter club that was used to protect Sheep from predators and thieves. Okay, We don't necessarily have a a modern idea to really capture this, but if it helps, I want you to think of the rod as a shotgun that God has to protect His home from invasion. If that's helpful, that's the idea here at play in Psalm 23. God will protect His people. Rods were never used on sheep. They were only used on the sheep's enemies. And so it is no doubt in my mind that if a sheep got used to seeing their shepherd standing in the field with a rod and a staff, they would find comfort in knowing that if an enemy a thief or a predator were to enter the fold, that the shepherd would protect them. David says, your rod comforts me. And Jesus says the same thing in John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Christ has gone to the cross to crush our greatest enemy under his feet and to protect those of us who are his sheep. But he doesn't just protect us from our enemies, like death and sin, but he also protects us from ourselves. Okay? That word that is translated staff, okay, that was a tool used by shepherds in ancient Israel that was designed to guide sheep. And it had a hook on the end of it, so that as sheep wandered away, the hook of that staff could draw them back into the safety of the fold. And what's really, really interesting is that everywhere you see people writing about the behaviors of sheep, draw attention to the fact that they're really, really good at wandering away. You would, might say that it's their chief character flaw. They're really, really good at wandering away, and the reality is, is that there's lots of reasons that a sheep might wander from the shepherd. They might get really scared and just bolt, right? They might get a little hungry and kind of wander off in search of food, right? Or they could just be downright stubborn. Whatever the reason for the wandering of the sheep. David takes comfort in the staff of his shepherd because whatever the reason, Jesus promises in John 6, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of any that God has given me. Jesus will not lose those who are his. He will protect them from the enemy and he will protect them even from themselves. That is such good news. We try to think of of an illustration to make this more real and I think Jesus has already done that in the parable of the lost sheep. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus says, What man of you, having 100 sheep, if he loses one, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and he says, Will you rejoice with me? For I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. So what does this mean for our lives? I think it means that you and I need to be honest about where we really are in our lives. We need to be honest about the fact that we are in times of trial and struggle. And we need to be honest that we are in times of temptation and struggle. And when we go into these times, we need to always be watching for Christ's protection. When you enter a time of trial, Be honest that it is difficult and that it is hard. But also look for the rod of the Lord's protection and the way that he is providing that protection through his people, through his word, through his provision. Always be looking for the rod of Christ's protection, crushing your enemy under your feet and providing a way out. You might enter times of temptation. And the truth is that you need to be honest about that too. You need to be honest that you are a sinner and that you are struggling with sin. And when you enter times of temptation, you need to be looking for the staff of the Lord's protection. Ways that He is drawing you back into the fold so that He can protect you even from yourself. But I think in the midst of all of these things, what's most important is that we continue in Psalm 23 to know that our Good Shepherd is not just always providing for us and always protecting us but that He is actually always preparing to bless us with His grace. Look back in Psalm 23. In verses 5 and 6, David says, You, the good shepherd, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to notice in verses 5 and in verse 6 that right on the tail of meditating on God's protection in his life, David speaks about God's generous blessings. That right in the midst of his enemies, that God is blessing generously. Every phrase in this part of Psalm 23 is associated with someone being invited as a dinner guest. That God is welcoming us into His good and gracious fellowship in the daily parts of our lives and ultimately at the end of all things. Because God is preparing not just the details of our lives and our days, but the details of your destiny. I want you to look back at verse 6. It says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Because the Lord is David's shepherd, David knows that God is preparing each and every day as an opportunity for David to experience God's love in a new way. Regardless of the circumstances in David's life, this continues to be true. We need to Remember that if we look at this wrongly, we could conclude that this means that God is always promising us worldly success. That we should always be looking for how God is going to bless me today. But we need to remember that the Good Shepherd, right, Christ, who has called us to follow Him, has said that following Him means picking up your cross daily in the humble service and in the humble love of others as more important. And you know what? God is always about making your day not just be about how you can experience His love, but how that love can be expressed to others as well. If you go to the book of Ephesians, here is what the Apostle Paul writes about every day of your life. You are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. God is the author of your life story. Hate to break it to you, but you are not the author, you are the character. And what's beautiful about that is that each and every day, as you receive it one at a time, you will see and experience God's goodness and His mercy always being prepared for you. So receive it. But don't just receive it in the day. Turn your eyes to recognize that God is also preparing your destiny. Look at the end of verse 6. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That phrase that's translated, I shall dwell, is not translated well. It should be translated, I shall return to the house of the Lord. It is much more oriented toward David saying, this is the destination of my journey. I'm not there today, but I will be there soon. David is not just reflecting on the details of his pilgrimage, but the promise of this destination. And what's beautiful about this is it doesn't matter if we're talking about each and every day of our lives or our destiny. I want you to notice that the shepherd is always there. That he is there on your pilgrimage in the wilderness or in the oasis. And that he will be there fully experience in the end when all things are made new and Christ returns. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. So, what does this mean for our lives? Well, it means that we should be receiving each day as a unique gift. And sometimes you know what that gift is going to look like, and oftentimes you will not. But as you receive the details of your day, moment by moment, you will find. God's goodness and God's mercy being provided and prepared for you. But not just when you receive it each day, but as you turn your eyes and look forward to Christ's return. So that when you are struggling with what the heck is school doing with COVID? You don't get caught up in the details of God's grace, but you remember that your home is still to come. Or when you are stuck in the emergency room and at the hospital, you could receive God's grace and His goodness and His mercy in that moment, but know that ultimate healing and ultimate rest and ultimate security is yet to come and it is on its way. No matter what the day brings, we can know that God is preparing us to receive His mercy and His goodness. But here's the fact. In the midst of all of this, it is still very possible that you will look at Psalm 23 and you will conclude that it is too good to be true. That it is just religious nonsense. And the reality is is that there's maybe two reasons for this. One is that you are overly familiar with this psalm. That you've just read it too many times. And if that's the case, just go get a different translation and read something fresh. And hear it new for the first time in a long time. But here's, here's the thing. It's probably not that. The reason that we find this psalm too good to be true is because every day we are confronted with the stark reality that you and I are a lot like sheep. We are surprisingly needy. We are predictably stubborn. We are regularly harassed and we are consistently anxious. Is that not true? Why would God provide for such pathetic creatures? Why would God care this much for His sheep? Why would He always provide, always protect, always prepare to bless such people? And I want to draw your attention to one more thing in Psalm 23 and that's verse 3. I want you to notice at the end of verse 3, He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Why? For His name's sake. God's faithfulness and His grace in your life is not based on whether or not you feel it or believe that you deserve it. God's faithfulness and grace in your life is simply because of His character. Because He is good. He's the only one, Jesus says, that is good. Take this to heart. If the Lord is your shepherd through faith in Jesus Christ, then it is His name that is on the line for the outcome of your life. When we look at sheep, we do not blame them for the quality of their life. If you go to a farm and you see livestock suffering, you don't blame the livestock, you blame the farmer, or the shepherd, or the rancher. God is exactly the same way. Your life is safe and secure in the hands of your shepherd. He will bring to completion what He has started in you. He will keep you from stumbling and present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Why? For His name's sake, but because you are His beloved sheep. Let's pray.